A domestic terrorist arrested while armed outside the home of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, upset about Roe v. Wade and the Second Amendment. We're going to talk all about this. We've got the full police report. But first, folks, I want to let you know some stuff that's going on. TPUSA, the Student Action Summit. It is coming up faster than you realize. July 22nd will be here so quickly. And what you need to do, because these tickets are going very fast, go to, to tpusa.com slash SAS. We do have the link in the description as always. Go get your ticket right now. President Trump will be there. I told you, I told you all along that a certain Floridian governor would be announced. And then was he not announced? He was. Governor Ron DeSantis will be there as well. You use promo code POSO, all caps, Tampa, Florida, beautiful location right there on the river. We've got the conference center. The whole place is booked. Make sure you go there. And by the way, when you're at TPUSA.com, go and get the new book, Charlie Kirk, The Conservative Response to the Great Reset. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's edition of Human Events Daily, powered by Turning Point USA. Today is June 9th, 2022, and Domine. Today's headlines, a domestic terrorist arrested outside Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's home. Next, a sweeping gun reform bill passes in the House, but is it constitutional? Third, Chesa Boudin, we got a victory lap, folks. We got a victory lap. Chesa Boudin recalled out. O-U-T. Get out of here. Send him home. Recalled as San Francisco district attorney. And finally, a top CCP official is urging the party to seize a Taiwanese semiconductor plant if the U.S. elevates sanctions on China. All this and more head, Human Events Daily. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. So we've been talking lately about violence in America, specifically politically motivated violence. And we have another incident, or almost had another incident, a horrific potential incident yesterday outside the home of the Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh. What happened? An armed domestic terrorist was arrested by local police, believe it or not, not by U.S. Marshals, by local police, who was then overturned to the FBI, after he called himself in. This is something, by the way, a lot of people are talking about this. A lot of people are focused on the story. But I think it's very interesting that the, the individual himself decided to chicken out at the last minute, got cold feet, said, OK, I'm not going to do it. And we're glad that he did, obviously. But he called himself in. The U.S. Marshals, for some reason, didn't think... To go to this guy, and let's let's break it down, okay, black-clad individual, 26-year-old male, walking around with a briefcase, we're told, an actual briefcase, not like a suit ba- you know, suitcase or, um, you know, like a backpack, no, a briefcase that he's walking around with right outside of Brett Kavanaugh's house. You'd think, I don't know, if that guy's walking around, maybe you, maybe you go up and tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, what's going on, buddy? I know I got detained recently by police and frisked at the World Economic Forum in Davos for standing and doing my job as a reporter up there. But apparently they didn't have an issue with this guy walking around like that when they know that because of the leaked decision on Roe v. Wade and the fact that Brett Kavanaugh is supporting it, 
they are going after this guy. And you've seen left-wing group after left-wing group target not only the individuals, but their specific homes. They're the ones who cross. It's completely illegal, by the way. It's illegal under federal law everywhere in the United States, all 50 states, to intimidate a judge before a decision is made. That's like that's old school, right? That has been a law in the United States for something like 100 years. All right. This is an old, old law, federal law. But for some reason, we don't enforce our laws anymore. We wait for crimes to happen. And then we get upset about the crime that happened. And then we want to punish people that weren't involved in the crime for some reason, rather than actually just try to do something about crime in the first instance. I know, weird. It's kind of kind of strange that we would try to set up our society this way. But you clearly have a mentally ill individual here realized at one point that um, he was at the depths of despair, decides to call himself in, calls off the thing at the last minute. Who knows? Right. Who knows what would have happened if he had waited there? The same, and I have to say, in my mind, it reminds me of the killing of John Lennon, where Mark David Chapman, another crazy guy, I believe he was also in his 20s when he did this, waited outside the home of John Lennon all day and then shot him in the back eight times. So what do we have here? This individual, Nicholas John Roski from California, 26 years old, said he is looking for purpose in his life, told police officers that he was mad about the Roe v. Wade decision that is impending and that he was upset about the Second Amendment as well. I think a lot of people I've noticed so much of the media coverage is leaving out the fact that this was also motivated by his feelings on the Second Amendment. What did he bring? A Glock 17 pistol, a tactical knife, a black tactical chest rig. This is according to the police affidavit uh, out of FBI. Two magazines, ammunition, pepper spray, zip ties, a hammer, screwdriver, nail punch, crowbar, pistol light, duct tape, hiking boots, and other items. Does this sound like a kidnapping to you? Does this actually sound like, and this is, look, I'm just reading the list of things that this guy had on him in the suitcase, in the backpack. To me, this sounds like it was an attempted kidnapping as well, that it looked like he was planning on something far worse than just going in and killing him, that he actually wanted to bring those zip ties for a reason. And we know that activists, radical activists, and we've been talking about this Jane's Revenge group that's out there, they're targeting people's homes. They're targeting people's families. They've targeted Kavanaugh's wife. They're talking about his children. Understand what point in the movie we're in. It's time to get serious about this stuff. You got crazy people running around on the street. They're all drugged up. You got police. They don't want to do anything about it or they can't do anything about it because they're worried about the DAs coming down on them for doing their jobs. Turn them into the next Derek Chauvin, right? That's the situation we live in society today. And you got people on CNN will try to make accommodations for it. Russia and Turkey have just announced they are starting a grain corridor to get those 20 million tons of grain out of the port of Ukraine onto the global market. Folks, don't look now, but we are in for it. People who study the world's food supply are for a living are saying that 2022 is likely to be the worst year from a food crisis and global hunger and starvation perspective, worse than any year since World War II. That means your time is limited. Human Events Daily is partnering with my Patriot Supply. You guys know them. We have now launched preparewithposo.com, a special portal for you. 
My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company with over 55,000 four-star and five-star reviews. Go right now, access preparewithposo.com, and you will save 150 bucks, seriously, 150 bucks on their crucial three-month emergency food kit. This kit provides breakfast, lunches, dinners, snacks, over 2,000 calories a day for optimum energy when you need it most. Get one kit for each person in your family. You can throw it in the trunk of your car for peace of mind. Go to preparewithposo.com. You save 150 bucks on the food that you will need right now. Listen to the experts on this one. Grab the emergency food now, not after, because once you're after the fact, it's too late. Go to preparewithposo.com today. The link is in the description. On this vote, the yeas are 223, the nays are 204, the bill is passed. Without objection, a motion to reconsider is laid upon the table. Well, apparently Matthew McConaughey's tactics, his operation was a complete success because we're seeing now just last night a What's, what's being hailed as a, a sweeping gun reform bill passed in the House, protecting our kids. Who could be against that? Who could protect? Who could be against protecting? Ch- if you vote against protecting the children, then obviously there's something wrong with you, Buster Brown. You've got an issue with protecting kids, huh? 228 to 199 with 10 Republicans voting alongside Democrats to strip you of your civil rights to self-defense. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Excuse me. Well, I thought it was protecting the kids. Why are you posto? Why are you saying it's about stripping rights? Well, here's how it goes, ladies and gentlemen. You have, here's how rights work. Let's, let's go back to John Locke, right? I talked about this the other day. You have the right to self-defense. It is an inherent right given to you by God because It is the positive expression of the right to life. If you believe life has value and that life should always be protected, that means you have a right to, I have a right to life. You have a right to life. I think everyone has a right to life. I actually do believe in this. And so the right of self-defense actually grows out of the right to, to life in our law. The idea being that if life is valuable, then you have to actually express this value and you express it in the positive self-defense of that life. This is where you get Kyle Rittenhouse, right? Remember, Kyle Rittenhouse had a mob of people trying to kill him. He was on 10 different video angles, including one that we broke here on Human Events Daily, of an FBI airplane. The federal government, federal law enforcement, knew that Kyle Rittenhouse was being chased by a murderous mob that wanted to put him six feet under. And that's just a fact. And he was able to defend himself at 17 years old because he had an AR-15 platform with him that had been given to him. He had borrowed it from a friend. They tried to go after him for a year. He had to spend over a million dollars. His name was dragged through the mud. He still can't get into college. He's trying to apply to different places. They won't let him in. Or they will, but then they lie about it. His friend, they tried to go after him as well. And so when you have a situation like that, when it is self-defense, they say, oh, it's all about the individual. But then you have these other situations, like these horrific crimes, right, that took place in in Buffalo, in Uvalde, and Tulsa, by the way. We don't talk about Tulsa anymore, or the Philadelphia South Street shooting, right? For some reason, we don't talk about certain mass shootings. We'll talk about other ones because it's about a political operation. You have people with a political agenda that want you to focus on certain things, but not other things. And so we're told it's not the criminal's problem, it's society's problem. And so this, this gun uh, bill that was passed, what, what is it? 
It's increasing the age limit on the purchase of certain firearms, preventing gun trafficking, whatever that means, modernizing the prohibition on untraceable firearms, encouraging the safe storage of firearms, and for other purposes, including controversial red flag laws that are supported by people like Dr. Oz. So here's the situation. Here's the situation. The idea, and let's just let's just take that the main focus point that everybody's getting at this idea that you have to be 21 years old to purchase one of these at the federal level. Here's the problem: a semi-automatic. And I, I've read that the legislation doesn't say AR-15; it says semi-automatic centerfire rifle, right? As if that makes a difference. Here's the problem: unconstitutional. It's been found unconstitutional because California just tried to do this a month ago, and guess what? The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals came down and said, guess what? It's unconstitutional. You literally do not have the ability to restrict this at the constitutional level. Why? Because the Constitution only provides age limits for two things, voting at 18 and then running for office, right? 25, 30, 35 for House, Senate, President. That's it. That's the only age limits that are permissible under the Constitution. So at the state level, you look at that and you say, well, hold on. How come a state can't do whatever they want to say? Because simple. Because the Second Amendment guarantees, guarantees that right. So let me get it straight, right? You could be 18, you could be sent off to die in Afghanistan, like the kids that Joe Biden sent off to die at the Afghanistan airport in Kabul. But he's going to say that those people, well, yeah, we'll send you off to die in the desert of some Middle Eastern wasteland. But, but when you come back home, you're not able to defend yourself and you can't go shooting with your friends because... You're not the same age. How does that make any sense? It doesn't. This is a civil rights issue. Voters have loud and clear that they want a district attorney who prioritizes public safety for every community. are engaged and well-informed. We know that we can have important criminal justice reforms and public safety for all, and that neither has, was being achieved under this district attorney. District attorney Chesa Boudin, San Francisco, is now the latest victim of the Biden economy. Apparently, he just lost his job. We know unemployment is having, you know, this huge spike right now. And we're very sorry, Mr. Boudin, because, you know, it looks like there aren't any jobs available for scumbags like you. Now, this is a guy two years ago when he was first coming out that I said, you need to watch out for this guy. He was raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn as their adoptive son. His parents were left-wing terrorists in the weather underground. Yes, literal terrorists who actually killed a security guard at a bank. Then when they couldn't raise their son anymore, they gave him off to left-wing radicals like Bill Ayers, the guy who's the grandfather of Antifa and left-wing radical violence, and they raised him. Now, and they say, well, Posa, hold on, hold on. You can't hold a child against the sins of the father. You can't do that. Of course not. Of course not. But that being said, you have to look at where someone comes from. You have to look at how they were raised. You have to look at what they do in their life to determine what kind of person they are. And we could see this. 
He was attempting to institute all of the insane, radical social destabilization programs that we saw across the country being pushed in the crazy 60s by the 60s crazies. He was doing that in San Francisco and people were dying. My wife and I were in San Francisco, what, six, seven months ago? We couldn't even go out to dinner after six o'clock in Chinatown. Why? Because the Asian American restaurants, the whole neighborhood was shuttered. We couldn't go. We wanted to go in. We wanted to go to a Chinese restaurant, be able to practice speaking Mandarin. You know, we were going to do, you know, you only speak Chinese at, uh, at the dinner table. Go talk to someone who's a native speaker. No, couldn't do it. Couldn't happen. Why? Because the violence was at insane levels. And so 60-40, this guy's out. And he was one of these Soros org-backed DAs. We know there were 75 of these across the country. One down, 74 to go. And here's the problem, right? Here's the problem with these individuals. Because they have a problem with how they view society. They view it through a Marxist lens. And not to get too boomer con on you, but the Marxists view all of society as having two classes. There's an oppressor class and there's an oppressed class. And so the oppressor class, that's the one that needs to be brought down. And the oppressed class, that's the group of people that even if they break the letter of the law, you have to let them off, right? You have to let them go, right? That's how they view society. So for them, if someone, if a criminal commits violence, it's not the criminal's fault, it's society's fault for making him commit violence. You understand? Because they view that as an oppressed individual. This is Kataji Brown-Jackson, um, who's on the Supreme Court now, or who's going to be on the Supreme Court, I should say, at the end of the term. She has the exact same view of criminal justice, right? This is where you get um, her lenient sentences on child pornography. Here's the problem with that. We don't have a law problem in this country. I would go so far as to say, controversial as it may sound, we don't have a gun problem in this country. We have a people problem. We have a community problem. We do have a society problem. That's true. But it's not oppressors versus oppressed. It's a problem of our society being decayed, hollowed out, and falling apart, fraying at the seams. And so no law that's being passed in the House of Representatives or no DA that's letting people out of jail, violent criminals out of jail, that's not going to fix things. That's not going to fix communities. That's not going to fix. You have to do the work. You have to do the work of rebuilding the moral core of this country. And if you don't do that, if you're sending kids to drag queens and drag shows in Dallas and Texas, baseball stadiums in Milwaukee, which happened last night, you're not going to get the country back that has the same traditional moral core. Is there a need for China to, to make due on some of its commitments in the phase one agreement? Some business groups would like you to begin raising, uh, lifting up those uh, tariffs on China. Well, I know that, and that's why my trade rep is working on that right now. The answer is uncertain. It's uncertain. I'd like to be able to be in a position where I could say they're meeting the commitments or more of their commitments and be able to lift some of it. But we're not there yet. So I know we've been talking a lot about domestic issues uh, today, but I want to touch on this because this is a key geostrategical issue. And you have to understand what the CCP is up to. A top official of the CCP has ordered the party to seize a Taiwanese semiconductor plant if the U.S. ramps up sanctions. There's a policy proposal that was just made out of Bloomberg. Um, 
in a speech on U.S.-China relations in a research group overseen by the CCP's Economic Planning Agency. They're talking about the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company. So understand what's going on here. Semiconductors are Taiwan's key strategic interest for the United States. They have essentially, I'm not going to say a monopoly on the market, but they are the key manufacturer of, of semiconductors in the entire country, or entire world. Now, I wish they weren't. I wish that those semiconductors, by the way, were being made right here in the United States in places like uh, Wisconsin or Arizona. They're building someone, um, a prefab plant outside of Phoenix right now, or really just anywhere in the United States. I wish those jobs were here, but they're not. They're in Taiwan. And this firm specifically, uh, TSMC, one of the largest semiconductor firms, they're out of Taiwan, they have facilities in the United States, and they have facilities in China. So understand what's going on here. The CCP will use this as a causus belli. They will use this as a pretext for war. They will say, semiconductors are a key national security interest for the PLA, for the Chinese army, the Red Army, that we are going to need this for our Navy, we're going to need this for expansion, and so they'll, nas- they'll move to nationalize the company. And they'll say, we're nationalizing not just the one in Shanghai. No, they'll start there. But then they'll say, we're nationalizing the one on Taiwan. And they'll claim that they're able to do that because, remember, the CCP out of Beijing declares Taiwan not to be a separate nation, but to be a rogue province that's in rebellion with the mainland. Taiwan, on the other hand, considers themselves the Republic of China, the original government of China from the 1920s, which was a republic, a, a limited republic, a form of democracy, right? They were kicked out by the communists in 1949 and fled down to Taiwan. This has been the status quo since the 1950s. That then, they would say, okay, Taiwan, you need to turn over these semiconductor plants to us. What do you think Taiwan's going to say? Of course, they'll say no. And in response, the CCP will begin military operations on Taiwan in this scenario. It's a perfect causus belli for them. It absolutely makes sense from their perspective. They would use the exact same strategy, the exact same playbook against the West that Putin's using right now. They would say, we've got the resources. We have this right here. Our Navy's right here. Our Air Force is right here. Taiwan's right next door to us. It's so far from you, from Okinawa, from Guam, from Yokosuka. Try us. And they will imply, and I talked about this on War Room last weekend when we did an entire Taiwan special um, on the anniversary of Tiananmen Square because we're looking at what could come come next. And I said it would be an embargo, an embargo and a blockade, a naval blockade of the island of Taiwan where they would starve them out the same way that they starved 100 million people during the Great Leap Forward and the same way that they starved 29 million people in the city of Shanghai in the name of stopping COVID. Understand what's going on here. And that's all the time we have for Human Events Daily today. Remember, our promise, our oath, our solemn vow to you, be good, be brief, be gone. Our homework that we assign to you every day. We, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that we have to assign homework. It's just, you know, it's something we got. I got to do it. I got, I got, look, I got Charlie Kirk text me. He said, he said, Poso, did you assign them their homework? And I said, Charlie, I'm on top of it. Share this out with one, just one of your normie friends, and then give us your five-star review, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your politics. What do we talk about today? The domestic terrorist really should be the biggest story in the country. 
A domestic terrorist out of California was arrested just outside Brett Kavanaugh's home in Maryland. Next, a sweeping gun reform bill passes in the House, but most likely will be struck down, should be struck down. Chesa Boudin recalled a San Francisco DA. Turns out that you do actually have to prosecute people for crime. You can't, you know, play these social experiments. And finally, the CCP talking about seizing a Taiwanese semiconductor plant if the U.S. elevates sanctions, a potential causes belli for war in Taiwan. We have a lot going on today, a lot going on this week. But folks, before we go, it's time for today's history break. Today, June 9th, all the way back, we're reaching back, folks, 1898. The British Empire signed a 99-year lease for Hong Kong, located on the southeastern coast of China. At the time, Hong Kong was a rock. There was nothing there, 400 square miles. It was administered as a British crown colony all the way up into July 11th, 1997, when for a, in a very foolish move, the British Empire returned the city, the beautiful, amazing city, prosperous city that they had built of Hong Kong, transferred it over to the CCP in the name of bringing China into the world stage. Folks, what can I say? Take down the CCP. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.